0: You may have heard the term "Creasters," at least in the Catholic world, referring to people who attended mass or came to church only for Christmas and Easter. That trend, if it's that, has long continued. Some media report that more Americans are falling away. Other media report the opposite. Let's take a deeper dive into what's happening in and out of the church, especially in this holiest of seasons. I'm Sheila Lagminas, and you're in the forum. So, depending on where you read news or feature articles about issues of religion, you may be seeing what I referred to as opposing reports of either more Americans falling away from their faith or any faith and not affiliating with a religion nor attending church services, or the pandemic and lack of access to churches causing a boost in church attendance once people were able to go there again and participate in the prayers they're so familiar with receive the sacraments, and draw closer to the faith they felt far from over the past year. So which is it? Maybe some of both? Here to sort through all this is Father Peter Cameron, formerly editor-in-chief of Magnificat, the prayer and devotional booklet series that accompanies so many of us through the sacraments with mass readings, meditations, and commentaries, some written by Father Cameron, on beauty, faith, truth, and tradition. He's author of Prayers for the Moment, a collection of spiritual gems, and Blessing Prayers, Devotions for Growing in Faith, among other works. And he's professor of homiletics. Father Cameron, what a joy to have you in today. Thank you for taking the time to be here.
1: Thank you, Sheila. It's a blessing to be with you.
0: So, Father, to to that point about the contradictions I'm seeing in in different press, now, granted, some are secular and some are Catholic press, but in the Washington Post here just in recent days, one article, at least one, I saw others, but this one has a headline that said, the headline literally says, less than half the country says religion is very important. And then it goes into this about the, 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 uh, the news centering on America's religious fervor going down. In Gallup, the Gallup poll in 2020 measuring a percentage of Americans who identified religion as very important dropping by 48 percent, the lowest on record. They note, and that change actually started in 2019, and it fell for for the first time in 2019 below 50 percent. And then it goes on about this and the behaviors, and maybe it's the younger people instead of the older generations, and all that. It gets into that. But um, Father in Alatea, among other Catholic sources, I, I saw the opposite, that because of the year the plus of the pandemic and people being uh, denied access or not uh, unable to have access to their churches and the sacraments, except live streaming online for a very long time, there's been a big boost in their faith and a big boost in their, their desire for the Eucharist and to attend Mass again and to attend any of the church services. What are your thoughts on both?
1: Well, my general remark would be, I, I think we're not in a position really to make an informed judgment about this question, which is very interesting, but I think it's too early and too, it's too precipitous really to attempt to really tackle it. But I would say this, that the experience of the pandemic uh, and especially the fact of that um prevented people from being physically in church has really taken a toll on a lot of people. And in fact, I think what it has done um, is is increased people's hunger for God. That is to say, I think it has uh, given them a more profound awareness of what the church and the catechism and elsewhere refers to as the religious sense. Because as people isolated, as people were restricted in their movements, as people learned to be by themselves, sometimes maybe for the first time in their lives, they realized, first of all, that um, there's a presence with them in that, in that quietness, in that, even in, in that contemplative sort of way of living. Also, that happiness really isn't possible outside of communion, and that's why they wanted to be with other people. And that so many of the things that they thought were absolutely non-negotiable priorities in their life suddenly weren't priorities at all anymore. And in fact, what they really wanted were the things that religion values as the highest goods in life, like caring for people and being other-directed and being self-sacrifices and praying and worshiping. That's one thing. Also, I was just yesterday, and I'm presently the Prior of St. Patrick Priory in Columbus, Ohio, and I was at the Chrism Mass for the Diocese of Columbus yesterday, and beforehand we had a day of recollection. I was invited to speak at it, and then we had a, a, a simple meal bef- uh, long before the Mass began, but I was talking with one pastor who was the pastor of a parish out in the farmland area of the Diocese of Columbus, and I was asking him about his experience of dealing with the pandemic and he said well on the days that people weren't permitted to come to church because of the infection he 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 began this simple program of sitting at his desk with a uh, zoom and and doing his own reflection on the readings for the upcoming sunday mm-hmm. and apparently not only did a number of people tune into this but he's st- said that uh, he actually was receiving donations. He said he received a check of $300 from a person he had never heard of before because they were so struck by this. Okay, so why is why are people watching this country pastor when there are a thousand other things to watch on the internet? They're watching him, and not only that, but they're moved to, to send in a donation. And other priests, pastors who are friends of mine have told me, similar things have happened that there have been just this incredible outpouring of generosity, people sending in checks and making donations to the church because of the consolation that they've received virtually from pastors who are tending to people. But it takes a little bit of work to go online and to find that and that search uh, on the internet, I think is, is uh, just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the greater search that's going on right now, which is identical with what it means to be human, to be constantly longing and pursuing the infinite.
0: So, Father, the, the uptick or increase we've heard about for years now in the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, none of the above. I don't, especially, a long, uh, I don't know why it's maybe legitimately, but it, it's, it's, a, it's tacked on to the millennial generation, mostly attributed to them, whatever you'd call that, that is identified to the millennials. But, you know, in the, it's, it, it really was what the Pew Religion Survey or whatever that came up with those answers, it, you know, answering these questions about religion in your life, religion America, apparently that age group especially checked the none of the above, like unaffiliated, unchurched, unaffiliated, not going there, not participating, not practicing. And and, and at the same time, this, this pandemic may that Alatea and others in the Catholic world and Christian world who have been writing about this being a boost to their faith and young people, very much young people crying out calling out pleading for searching as you say online for where they can find any participation in mass in any proximity to the consecration the eucharist the mass being celebrated those even making a spiritual communion that kind of thing that seems to have lit a fire or some desire in them that maybe wasn't there before and i kind of hear you saying that when you say that You know, it does take quite a search on the internet to find this country pastor doing a Zoom uh, reflection on his own about his reflections on the readings of the mass. So you're right. And that seems to me to say that.
1: Yes. And I, I, as I say, that's why I don't think we're really in a position where uh, we have all the data and therefore we can't really make an assessment about who is, who is, who is, who is living for God and and, and really pursuing religion in their life and who's turned their back on it. I mean, just speaking to the new editor of Magnificat, Father Sebastian White, apparently there has been even an increase in, in subscriptions to the magazine because people can't go to church, but they don't want to be without the fruits of the liturgy. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, at least they can read the the liturgy in, in Magnificat and be uh, nurtured that way. So I think there really is much more going on than simply people sort of giving up on God because of the dire circumstances that have been on society because of the coronavirus pandemic.
0: Well, so now we have, let's talk about those of us who are thinking about, caring about, and trying our best, our hardest to participate. In oh, mass, anybody in the Christian world, and their their church services and living it, Father. You, Father Peter Cameron, um, you were the homilist, well, among many other times you were, but I have your homily from the mass of St. Thomas Aquinas. Of course, you being you know Dominican, this is uh, order uh, of preachers, this is so important. And you said the reason you became a Dominican is because you read an historical novel in high school about the life of St. Thomas Aquinas. And uh, it was entitled The Quiet Light and so on. And, And that really, it lit something in you. But I love what you say in this, among many other things, that there is nothing more active than contemplation. For the the whole pandemic year 2020, a lot of people had not a whole lot more than the chance for contemplation without being able to go, open your church door, mine was locked, but like most people, slip into a pew before the Blessed Sacrament, pray when you want, even get into confession for many, many months, or the Mass, except live streamed and so forth. When you say there's nothing more active than contemplation, please explain that for those who could not possibly understand that.
1: Well, uh, you, I, I think any American can understand very readily how much work and energy goes into being completely still. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I that, uh, even just sort of quieting down my mind, that it takes, first of all, I have to make it a priority and then I have to follow through on it by, shutting down all the things that are gonna dis- distract me, et cetera, and then I have to put myself in a place where I am even psychologically only going to pay attention to God and to the love of God, etc., and not to my own ideas and not to my own urgings and not to my own passions and appetites and, and not to my own fears and dreads and anxieties and things like that. This is hard, hard work. But the reality is that when, when we are immersed in, in contemplation, we are given access to the very life of god in it because contemplation is a gift this is especially a dominicans understanding and teach contemplation that it's not something that i work myself into by certain techniques or certain spiritual formulae or things like that but but that it it is a it is a gift and that it it changes everything about me it transforms me draws me closer into the uh, uh, the uh, friendship with Jesus Christ and it allows me to share in in not only in obedience to the will of God but to have um, to, to, to know the way that God knows and to have uh, to come away with uh, a, a, a greater um, what uh, influx of, of living the virtues and especially of, um, of knowing the truth and having the certainty, a confidence about that, that truth. And that's why the Dominic, one of the Dominican Commandos is, is we contemplate and then we share with others the fruit of contemplation, because it's so potent what is given in contemplation that it would be wrong to try to keep it to ourselves, that it, it has to be given away. So it's activity in that sense.
0: And, and, the, and the giving away is what you say. We must not keep for ourselves what you just no. said, Father. But in this homily, we must not keep for ourselves the result of our work. We yeah. must pass it on to others, to our neighbor. You say the time is ripe and more than ripe. For you say, the enemies of God have got hold of knowledge and have done what they would do, distorted it, twisted it, so as to fit it in with their purpose. We shall answer them with the knowledge of the truth. No wonder they call us a nuisance. We are to them. And we're more than that. Please, please God. So people are right now, Father, we, you know, the overused, but it's much used phrase cancel culture. There is a lot of bullying. Um, yeah. not, not just picking on or, or, or countering on social media, but actual bullying and, and, and trying to not just cancel someone's words out, but do actual harm to their reputation, to their livelihood, maybe to their property, to who knows, to their person. And people are afraid, you know, Christian aside, affiliation with religion aside, or maybe that's, really, that's very pertinent here, but afraid to say uh, publicly, what they believe as, you know, and not just what we, they believe, talk about that. Sharing truth, Father, at such an important time, when the culture out there refers to it as your truth, his truth, her truth, my truth. Oprah did that in receiving the Golden Globe Award a few years ago, and now she did it again in the interview with um, Prince Harry and Meghan, and, and talked about Harry's truth, Meghan's truth. I mean, when we have a, a culture like that, Father, they need to hear again about the truth. How do we have that conversation in that atmosphere?
1: I will tell you that, um, of course, this is a neuralgic issue. And part of the, and, and again, to get back to a to mystic way of looking at th- things, one of the principles that St. Thomas would always rely on when he was taught, when he was talking about, Uh, sharing the truth, disseminating the truth, is a scholastic adage that a thing is received according to the mode of the receiver. Okay, so that means that I have to begin in charity by having an awareness of the person who is standing in front of me, mindful of what they are able to hear or what they are able not to hear. And of course, I have to not only preach the truth to them. I have to be the truth to them. And that's the starting point. I have to be the truth to them. Because nobody—I mean, sometimes people have the misconception that that preaching and evangelizing is about convincing people, persuading people. Well, you can read many, many great authors, spiritual authors, including Pope Benedict XVI, that, that talk about how um, what a waste of time it is to try to persuade a person of something. Mm-hmm. He says, and others say, that communication is only communication when it involves a sharing of selves, an exchange of self. And that's why all uh, Christian communication, all Christian evangelization really is Eucharistic. That's what Jesus does par excellence. He He blesses us with the gift of himself, and we see, we experience the correspondence between that gift and what we really need in life. And so all communication has to somehow spark that correspondence. If that's not working, I can fill the person in front of me's brain with as many ideas as I can think up, and they might be brilliant and very sound, etc., but... Conversion always happens at the level of desire. Mm. And very often people who are in the cancel culture mode and who are hostile actually about it, who are belligerent and uh, aggressive in in putting other people down are doing so because like all bullies, they're cowards and they're afraid Mm -hmm. and they don't really have a truth to hold to and they know it and so they have to act out because they have to defend themselves because there are only two options in life. The two options in life are to live in fear or to live in trust. And so the Christian is the person who stands before others full of trust, no matter whether you put nails in their hands and their feet, and you lacerate them, and you call them names, whatever it is, We stand before others filled with certainty that we are loved, and it doesn't matter how much violence the world does to us, because that is not going to undo this love that loves us, because we are loved with an indestructible love, and we have a future, and that's the very foundation of our hope. And everybody wants this future, but only Christians have it. Pagans don't have it and they know it. And this is what drives them into this terrible frenzy of fear. And so it is like our Lord with the Samaritan woman of the wealth. Here she is, she's completely Mm. caught up in sin. She is completely lost to the point that she knows that she can't even participate in society. Why in the world does she go to collect water, which weighs so many pounds in the middle of the day when the sun is the hottest? Because she can't to be around the other crowds who are at the well earlier in the day because it's it's just too demeaning they're just going to they are going to bully her because of her sinfulness and so Christ becomes comes before her and there's no sermon given the Lord speaks poetry to her basically he says to her wouldn't you like living water and what happens her desire becomes alive and she starts to pursue him She's the first one in that whole uh, that whole conversation to mention God not Jesus himself. Yeah. She says, you know, um, well, you know, we, you, you people worship a God that is, is different from our God. And, and I know that there is a Messiah who's coming. So it has to take this form of, 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 of deep compassion, of deep, as Pope Francis speaks about in Evangelii Gaudium, aggressive tenderness. This oh. is the only mode that works for people who are already skittish, and um, as I say, um, threatened by the fear that they have made an idol in their own life.
0: Oh, and you and you write you wrote about, or you spoke about that in the homily for the mass for St. Thomas Aquinas on his feast day. That um, you say you said that you, what you just said is perfectly segues into that. The trouble you you said is that when happiness doesn't happen according to our plan, hence you know the people we may be you know encountering, and you asked what are the things in which the human being's happiness consists, and when you look for an answer, you know. Does happiness consist in wealth, fame or glory, power or pleasure in any created good? And then you, of course, you know, cite Thomas, of course. And there's one thing that your desire, my desire and desire, every person in the world has in common, and that's our desire for the infinite, which means that the only thing that can satisfy our infinite desire is the infinite. And you cite Thomas in Summa, how many people haven't read the Summa, but but want this and may not know Father Cameron that what they so desperately seek is the infinite. It's nothing material. This is all going to pass. This we are, we don't get out of here alive. We, we get out of here alive beyond the veil. But I mean, what are, what we're searching for right now? You're spot on. When people think I need to find the words to convince this person, what you just brought up is an interesting point because it's the marketing life, right? In this way, create desire, and therefore, how do we create desire in people if we don't use the words of evangelization that might not tap into, they might just block that out like a filter?
1: Desire is always there. It's always sort of, it's, it's, it's latent, but it's inactive. So it's more like mm. activating or generating desire. But this is why um, kindness is such an incredibly important mm-hmm. aspect of life, because when people who are whatever, if they're caught up in a a life of, of angriness or loneliness or um, of cynicism, or if they've just sort of um, given up on things and decided that life really has no meaning. And therefore there's a, they have a very fatalistic approach, but people show them uh, an unexpected lavish act of kindness and they just do it gratuitously. It's, it's, Almost impossible to resist that and not to pay attention to it, and it, and it provoke. And it's a it's a wonderful provocation because it makes the person wonder. All right, is somebody looking to get something from me? And if they're not, why would they do this? And there aren't too many options. It's either because there's something you know off about that person. Okay, that's one option, or it's because they have met someone. They have met something that makes their humanity. Different and exceptional to the point that they do have a joyfulness and a hopefulness and a gladness and a certainty. And they want to share it with me, not because they want anything from me, but because it's just, that's just, um, it, it seems to be part of what their life is about. I mean, it's the parable of the sheep and the goats, because the sheep say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or alone or in prison or, or naked? We're just living our life. Yeah. They were doing this, they were completely taken over by this life of holiness, that is to say, their whole lives were infused with love, so they couldn't help but witnessing that and all of their actions somehow participating in the very holiness, the goodness of God, and other people experienced it and, and it said, this is so different, it's, just so, it, it's so unusual, it's so unlike the world, how can you be this way? Mm-hmm. So I think it really, it has to take those forms, that the desires are there. Nobody wants to live a life of misery or sadness or loneliness, and no, nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be um, Ebenezer Scrooge. I know he's a Christmas image, but we, we kind of need one for Easter too, I think. Yeah. Nobody wants that, and, and if you look at that story, this is what makes that story so brilliant. All the spirits do is simply show him his own life so he can start, he can return to the desire that he became atheistic to, if you want to use that expression, at some point, so that he can reclaim what he he, he originally wanted, so that he can be on the path to the happiness that he he, he still desires.
0: And, and that's what I was thinking about listening to you. Instead of, you know, uh, well, generating is a good word, but creating desire, you're right. Generating it, reactivating it, and calling people back to what possibly, probably, they've left behind to seek other things or just out of, I don't know, complacency and just other things to do, who knows what the reasons are, as you said. Yeah. We, we, we cannot presume to answer these questions. However, uh, showing people, that's one thing, witness and storytelling, oh my gosh, if you just say to other people, they, can't, they can deny facts or they can deny what you preach. Uh, well, you're a preacher, but those of us out on, you know, in, in, in the social circles in the world, but they can't deny, when you when you say, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you where I found joy, I have peace, or if they see it in you. What's changed? I mean, maybe you lost this, you lost that. And yet you seem so peaceful or happy. Well, then you can start to tell them about, as you say, Father Cameron, that there's nothing more active than contemplation. Mm -hmm. So if they they see that you're peaceful in stillness and quiet, everybody else Mm -hmm. is out there in the midst of all this noise. They mm-hmm. want to know, how did you do that? In, in your, you're the author of Prayers for the Moment. I know I need to let you go soon, but please leave people with a few things. Like one thing being this. What are, what are some recommended prayers from you for the moment for those who are listening and think maybe they've been going again to church or maybe not, and they're listening and they're thinking, oh, I need to tap into this? What, what prayers for the moment would you offer or suggest?
1: I'll tell you, especially for people that are are longing to begin the habit of prayer, I I think one of the easiest ways to begin, and also one of the most powerful prayers to to keep you in the habit of prayer, is is the praying of the holy name of Jesus. So, for example, the Jesus prayer, which you can read about in the classic work called The Way of the Pilgrim, is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And to say it over and over again, without, without the the objective, it is not to repeat it as quickly as possible, but to, re, but to keep saying it so that it becomes identical with our breathing. Wow. Because that is to place all of our confidence with such a beautiful trust in the mercy of God. And we're made by mercy. And mercy recreates us. And when we're imbued by mercy, when we're permeated by mercy, we cannot help to be merciful. And so when we come up against, for example, the cancel culture and the bullies and the people that are, are, are turn their backs on God or they think that religion is a waste of time, they're going to sense, as you say, Sheila, a peacefulness in us that is just so attractive because everybody wants that. Mm-hmm. Or also along the same lines, I very often just fill the idle moments of my day by saying, Jesus and Mary, and now I've added St. Joseph because I've come to really love St. Joseph because of the year St. Joseph. I say, Jesus and Mary and Joseph, I love you. Save souls. And I just keep repeating that over and over again because when we say the name of Jesus and the names of these great saints who love us so much as a mother and a father, then what happens is that like, like good friends, whenever you say their name, they pay attention to us, and they come closer to us, and they want to they want to share themselves with us. They want they they want to be solicitous to us. They want to lend a hand in whatever it is that we need. They want to they want to participate in that, and just praying in that way can lead to such um, a, a wonderful recollected uh, spirit that will carry you through the day and will keep. God very close at every moment. Even when things start to go wrong, they, it, it's not going, those, those occasions are not going to be ones that cause as much anxiety or or or, or fearfulness or trepidation as they would otherwise.
0: That's very good advice. With uh, of course at Easter, we we always think of. Christ saying, I make all things new again. Of course, he does. You turn yourself over to him in abandonment, to divine providence. You turn yourself over in conversion. You just pray the the Jesus prayer, as you said. Mm. Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And contemplate that, as you say, slower and more quietly. That's so beautiful, but making all things new again, it's like, you know, staying at the cross on Good Friday, stay there a while, because all time, it has been said, is there at the cross. And don't rush to Easter Sunday. It will come fast enough. But then after that, Father, carry that forward to the newness, that we have a new life now with the resurrection. You, Father Cameron, um, brought up, St. Thomas Aquinas is asking in commenting on the works of Aristotle. Of course, this is perfect. Without friends, who would want to live? Friendship is what is most necessary to live. So you say, Father, So you, you just brought up friendship a few minutes ago. So you, who have been made a friend of Jesus Christ, go out and do what he does. Give to others your very self. Is the best way to do that just the smile on the face, the hello, and use the person's name if you know it? Tell them your name? Become a friend to somebody? Be a better friend to those you know already?
1: I think the answer is um, whatever the circumstances present you with, to respond to that in faith. So, for example, uh, talking about friendship, so my friend, Monsignor uh, Lorenzo Abacete, um, who has gone to God, tells a story about a priest who was a missionary in, in Kazakhstan, and he was by himself. And so on Easter, he wanted to tell the people who were communistic, so many of them, had no understanding of God, or if they had an understanding of God, it was an extremely thwarted one, or they were really opposed to God. They had a hostility toward God because they were atheistic, et cetera. So he wanted to teach them about the resurrection of Jesus. So he he said, now, how could Father possibly do that? What would he do? And I was all ears because I thought, yeah, what would he do for somebody like that? And he says, the only, the only way you can reach somebody who's in that position and, and 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 give them some sense of the resurrection is by saying to them, do you see anything about me that is different? Anything mm-hmm. that you find appealing or attractive? If you do, what you need to know is it is because of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. So come with me, stay with me, and you will meet this man who has enabled me to be this way. Witness is the only thing that works for bringing people to an awareness of the resurrection. And when we look at the Gospels, we see that too. It's, it's Peter and John as witnesses going forth and simply being this different exceptional humanity, that prison and flogging and, and being threatened and persecuted. None of that can deter their certainty and their great joy at this life that has taken hold of them because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead.
0: And that is astonishing. Father Peter Cameron, always a pleasure, always uplifting, always enlightening, talking with you, listening to you and your wisdom and the, the the beauty of your advice that is so simple. And yet for some people might be hard. It's going to take practice for some people to still themselves and work on some of your s- simple suggestions, but hard for some people, but they'll be all the better when they do. Thank you, Father Cameron. You're welcome, Sheila. God bless you. Father Cameron is so uplifting and inspiring. It's always good to tap into his wisdom and insights on the spiritual life and daily work and life in the world. They go together. Thanks for tuning in. Please share this link with others and ask them to subscribe and invite them to join us next time here in the forum.